episode number 35, and I'm not bragging. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's been a while since we've done this. Yeah, and you didn't know where I, I was going. I didn't know where you were going. Really? I didn't. It's been a long it's time. It's been a long time. Are we going to be rusty or what? No, no, no. We're professionals. Am I going to have... Professionals. Speak for yourself. Yeah, professionals. You might be a professional. Professionals. In the, uh, in the pick, in the golf pick realm. I was close. You were close. Close. No Three c- rounds close. No cigar. I, I, My favorite J-Ham prediction was on Twitter when you said scoring was going to be really oh. bad on Saturday. And it was the greatest scoring day in the history of Did the Masters. Did you see the pin placements? I'm sorry, we're getting it's the off same, topic. It's, well, I know, no, no, I, it's know, on I, know I know, I know. It's the, the know. same pin placements every Saturday. I, I saw you being all kind of special, throwing out the pin placements and trying to make uh, make hay. They, they they put them in this pretty you're, you're much such the same a jerk. Place. Why? You because you you picked Francisco. Amalinari. Amalinari. Francesco Amalinari. But you said you were going to change, that you were you reserved the right to change, but I never heard you change. Yeah, my, my change would have been Brooks Kepka. Really? No, actually, in a different pool, I picked Brooks Kepka. I see. Yeah. I see how this works. You you pick a guy that doesn't make the cut. But anyway, <sighs> we'll we'll keep going. We'll keep going. I haven't seen you. Hi, Mitch. I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. How you he doing? He didn't freaking make the Didn't cut. Didn't make the cut. Number one player in the world. Didn't make the cut. 14 majors. I mean, 14 Didn't masters. sniff it. Trunk slam and missed a putt of like three feet on Friday to make the cut the, and missed it. The Just guy gagged. that should have been there yeah. and the guy that you gave me grief about. Do we need to rewind 34? And you talked about Francesco Molinar. In his last seven Masters, he's done. Do, you, do we need to recap that? I never said that. I said I didn't like the pick, but I never said anything about his last seven okay, Masters. I don't like, I, I don't like relatively short hitters. I bristle at short hitters at Augusta, and compared to all these other guys, he's a short hitter at Augusta, but he is an absolute machine. I saw I that. just started calling him the machine until the end. But we, why, we digress. We do. It's episode 35. It's available on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you might listen to podcasts. We say subscribe. It costs nothing to subscribe to the normal to the normal episodes. Correct. Listen and rate us. Five. Nobody's only. rating us anymore. No Jay. rate? No. We haven't gotten like a rating. We haven't gotten like a five-star rating. Maybe it's because I'm not insisting and you're not insisting. We come haven't on, gotten a, a five-star rating in a long doing? time. Our next episode will come by way of Patreon. It will be a patrons-only episode. The second episode each week, starting this week. Remember, last last time you were gone playing golf correct and i did a patrons only episode but i left it open for the world to hear mm-hmm. so that they could figure out how to how to do it mm-hmm. this week it will not be open to it'll be open just right to patrons mm-hmm. all right if you want to have access to our second show each week you need to become a mitch unfiltered patron for as low as five dollars a month by heading over to the website mitchunfiltered.com. there's a little thing there that mm-hmm. says become a patron we're getting lots and lots of questions from patrons. If you can take the shows and have them automatically feed your app, right? which you can, and it's very, very simple. iTunes, if you listen to your, the, the show on iTunes, on your phone, if you listen to it on an Android device, there's a way of what they say, copying an RSS feed. When you become a patron, you get an RSS feed. We give you one. And then you copy and paste it into the app where you listen to podcasts one time and boom, done. bam, you will get all of the patron-only shows. 
directly to your app just the way you get these Love it. these Monday shows. All right, it's very very simple. Table of contents on episode thirty five, and I'm not bragging. Eighty six year old Ben Wright mm-hmm. will discuss one of the greatest sports events you've ever witnessed in your lifetime. You need me to tell you which which sport event that is. Well, besides the Masters, Th- that that would be it. Okay, Tiger Woods has come back. Maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you don't think it was all that great. You looked at me with kind of like no, may- maybe I'm just, I'm just one of the greatest sport event sporting events of our lifetime. Oh, Tiger sure. Woods wins, and Ben Wright will discuss it. He'll be a guest, as will the new Hall of Famer or soon to be Hall of Famer of your 1979. Jack Seattle Supersonics. Jack Sigma. Jack Sigma. Nicely done, Jack Sigma. And it, it'll, it's just a matter of time before he takes a shot at my golf game. Yeah. It, I'm sure he'll do so yeah. on his way to the Hall of Fame. Uh, he finally made it after all of these years, and I was Good thrilled. And he will join us on episode 35 to talk about the excitement of becoming a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. Uh, we'll talk on, about a number of different issues. We've got to catch up. You and I have not seen each other in a long time. The Mariners, although cold water was dumped on them this past weekend, the NBA plefs. Your boy Jamal Crawford, I want to mention. 51. At age 39. Who's done that before? Nobody. That's it. 50 or more on four different teams. Yes. Who's done that? Nobody. That's right. Your boy. Jamal Crawford, I want to discuss at least a little bit the NCAA championship game. I know you must have some thoughts you can lay on us. There's a new basketball coach at UCLA. I'm wondering whether Mark Emmert wears makeup. I'm now fascinated. Now every time I see his face, I'm convinced that he's getting ready for the day in his hotel or wherever and putting on – does he put on mascara? Is he wearing a base? What's going on there? <laughs> the Russell Wilson deadline is here. Did yeah. you know that? When oh, people yeah. are listening to this episode 35, yeah. the the Russell Wilson deadline to the Seahawks has arrived. And I don't know at the time of this recording of any new contract extension. So we'll have to talk about that. Uh, and so many other different little topics for episode 35, which is brought to you by Zeke's Pizza. Ever wanted to sit down, watch a game? All while enjoying some great pizza, craft beer, Zeke's Pizza is for you. I'm thinking about watching the NFL draft at a Zeke's Pizza location, if anybody wants to join me. Daniel's Broiler, whether it's a birthday anniversary or another special occasion, you won't find a better spot to celebrate the best steaks anywhere. Fabulous seasonal seafood, and you know it, Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Find the loan to fit your life. Select from hundreds of loan products tailored for your needs. 425-250-3150. That's Guild Mortgage of Kirkland and Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest right here in Bellevue with offices in Portland and San Francisco and the Napa Valley, managing over $2 billion in assets, 2018's fastest growing wealth manager. Are you ready for episode 35? Yes, sir. Here it comes. Unfiltered. Felix Hernandez, to me, should own a very, very unique and special place in, in Seattle sports history. When he was in his prime, he had a couple of chances to jump off a sinking ship, a ship that was going nowhere, and go strike gold. Gold hit the lottery twice. And yet, nope, he signed contracts. He never got to free agency. Unfiltered. And I don't know if you get the same feeling about Rory. I'll give you an unfiltered opinion about Rory McIlroy. 
He's rare. He's a superstar in his sport where every single time that I see him in front of a microphone and in front of a camera, I'm impressed. Mitch is unfiltered. Let's take care of some important Mitch Unfiltered business mm-hmm. before we get to naming episodes and what we saw over the weekend in Augusta, Georgia, and just how moved you were or weren't mm-hmm. with 43-year-old Tiger Woods coming all the way back and slipping on the green jacket for the fifth time. I, I Even saying it, even though, even though I thought years and years ago when he was having all of his problems and he wasn't playing... I always thought that if he ever gets back to playing again, people will say he won't ever win another major. The one he's definitely going to win, if he's going to win one, is going to be the Masters. And here we are uh, discussing and celebrating, if you're a Tiger Woods fan, that accomplishment. All right. This Thursday, next episode, patrons only. So if you'd like the two-per-week dosage of Mitch Unfiltered, sign up via the website. That's number one. We already mentioned that. Number two, if you are new or relatively new to Mitch Unfiltered, make sure you click on the older ones that you've missed or not heard. Those clicks help us dramatically and will keep us producing shows for a long, long time. New shows. And important to me personally, and I know important to you too, is for all the new listeners to Mitch Unfiltered, we're getting new people every day Mm -hmm. that are like, I didn't know that you had a podcast. I didn't know that you had a podcast. I like it. If you're not going to go back and listen to all of them, there's 35 of them now, uh, please episode one. Sure. Listen to episode 100%. one. Important to me that everybody hear episode one. It's entitled, I Am Sorry. Number three, congrats to Jeff Peffer. Do you know who Jeff Peffer is? He is the winner of the first ever Unfiltered Madness presented by Evergreen Golf Call. He had Virginia. Good for him. Winner of the NCAA championship, and he is going on a trip for two to the Napa Valley. 43 or 44 winners in all. Mitch merchandise going out as we speak. Right. Pop sockets. It's it's going to be appearing at people's in yeah. people's mailboxes as we <laughs> pop sockets, yeah. tumblers. Yeah, the whole yeah, deal. The whole, the whole thing. Number four, leg number one of the unfiltered majors contest oh! is now in the books presented by Evergreen Golf Call. I was close, Mitch. It's okay. You're still very much. What did he do? He finished fifth, didn't he? Yeah, in a tie t- for t- fifth. It's t- okay. T- five, t- it's a four leg. I get it. People think that it's over. Like people think that if you had Justin Rose, I don't know who would have picked Justin Rose. Only say, dummies would have picked Justin Rose. I I have my hand raised. Okay. Um, people think like if I pick somebody in the Masters that missed the cut, I'm out. Right. Long, long, long way, way to go. go. There's four majors. We take your four picks and their their purse, mm-hmm. and we put the purses together. And the guy or gal who comes up with the biggest combination of four purses, right. you could get a zero for the Masters, like, like I did, yeah. and then pick a couple of winners in the next three be right there. and be maybe on your way to Pebble Beach. That's right. All right, so leg number one is in the books. You were asking me before we started to record, 105 out of nearly 2,000 entries had Tiger Woods. Mm. So there you have it. Rory mm. McIlroy was the... The landslide most popular selection. And he actually helped them out a lot because he came back on the final day with like a little 
a little 64 mm-hmm. or a little 68 or four under 68 and finished you know respectable and got a little cash in your yeah. in your wallet so that's leg one of the unfiltered majors presented by uh, evergreen golf call and finally if you'd like to see the leaderboard the final leaderboard of the masters with next to each person's name how many people chose them in our contest you can go to my or our facebook page it's the mitch unfiltered facebook page there's lots of podcast stuff including the final results of the first leg of the unfiltered majors there's pictures there's content there's lots of stuff we want you to like us friend us like us is it like us friend Friend us us. follow us us. uh mitch unfiltered on the facebook okay We've got a lot to discuss, so I don't want to take too much time on the naming of the episode. And frankly, when you look at 35s in the grand scheme of things, uh, you're going to say, let's not waste too much time on this because there's not, it's a bad number. Mm-hmm. It's a bad number. Locally, it's a bad number. Nationally, internationally, 35 is just weak sauce. Not a lot of weak good ones. Weak sauce. Weak sauce. I only have one person in mind. Okay. And, and I think. Unless we go off the map, that some people want us to go off the map, yeah. uh, he he's going to be, it's going to be the guy you're thinking. Okay. All right. So Mariners: Mike Morgan, Dave Fleming, Rich Aurelia, Brandon Morrow, Mark Trumbo, Morrow. Uh, Ricky Henderson, sure, who is considered probably one of the best baseball players to ever wear 35. Although he didn't, he only wore it for like six years, yeah. seven years. But I am. He the wore greatest. other numbers, huh? But I am the greatest. He is the greatest. Yes. Um, he wore 35 for the Mariners yeah. for like five minutes. Yeah. Um, Sonics, are you ready for these? Oh, boy. Zaid Abdul-Aziz. Okay. I don't know who that is. Al Carlson, Chris King, Art Long, Brian Martin, Jerry Reynolds, John Schweitz, Paul Silas. Mm-hmm. Good. Leon Smith. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Durant wore number 35. He's, don't know if you've heard of him. I've, I think... He sounds familiar. He is. He's familiar sounding. Um, Seahawks, some guy named David Sims in 1978 scored 14 touchdowns mm-hmm. as number 35. I don't remember him. Deshaun Shedd. That's it right. for the Seahawks. Um, national or international stars. There's some pretty good baseball players. Ricky Henderson, as I said, wore 35 a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um Frank Thomas, oh yeah, the big hurt was a great, great baseball player for yeah. a lot of years. He wore thirty-five. One of my favorites, Phil Necro Nuxie, mm-hmm. wore thirty-five. Mike Mussina just got uh, picked for the Hall of Fame. He wore thirty-five. So some pretty decent baseball players. Um, football players: Alan Amici, Neil Anderson, Marion Butts, Calvin Hill. The problem with thirty-five in football is it's kind of a fullbacks Full number, yeah. right? Yeah, not happening. Yeah. Christian Okoye. Oh, he was the Nigerian nightmare. You got him. Yeah. Uh, Riley Smith, Calvin Hill. Mm-hmm. Grant Hill's dad wore 35 for the Cowboys all those years. Uh, that's that's about all I got for that. I gave you baseball. And basketball, it's Ke- Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. So the question then becomes, and I think it's your turn. Mm-hmm. The question becomes, do you want to just give it to Kevin Durant and call this episode KD? Yeah. Or do we go off the map? Mm-hmm. And call it episode Tiger. I, I don't know how you don't. Well, he's 35 means nothing, nothing. to Tiger. There's no, there's, except for the oh. fact that we recorded 35 on the night I know. that he won but his don't fifth. Don't you kind of want to timestamp this episode a little bit with 
with the historic significance of number 15. And I understand it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make it sense. It doesn't make sense. It's it's hard to do, but gosh, a lot of me wants to do it. But here's the other part of me that says Kevin Durant deserves his own episode. Okay. I mean, so as much as I would love to do Tiger Woods on this deal, I, I'm 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 shading towards it being episode Kevin Durant. But we we got some time. You got time. Yeah. Would you consider um, the big hurt no. over KD? No, no. It's, no. KD it's KD or Tiger Woods. Yes. Yeah, I don't know how you do Tiger. I, I don't know. I don't know how you do. It's thirty-five. There's no, there's no tie to thirty-five other than just it just so happens that the day we're recording happens to be the day that Tiger Woods won. That's right. That's it. That's it. He completed the comeback. Yeah. He completed one of the greatest, if not the greatest, comebacks in sports history. Sure. To to be able to rebound from. His nightmare from a a life standpoint. Yes. His his life's problems. His physical physical problems, mental problems, mm-hmm. prescription drug problems, all the different things that he has gone through in the last eight, ten, twelve, fifteen yeah. years. What was it like for you watching him on the Sunday at Augusta National dust off the field? The field came back to him a little bit. People dumping the ball in the water at 12, missing putts, pressure getting to people, and then and then Tiger Woods rock solid down the stretch. What did it mean to it, you? It was unbelievable. It, it really was. I, my, my wife will tell you, if we called her right now and brought her on the episode, she would tell you four, five, six years ago, she was saying, you got to stop. You got to stop rooting for this guy. Really? You, yeah. you like you're too invested in trying to see him win. What was it about him that struck the chord with you? He's he's what nine months younger than me. We're the same. We're the same generation. Like right. literally watching him as a 21 year old, and I think one year when I was coaching at UW, um, or even my senior year, I can't remember which it was. He's in the stands at Stanford. Like, you know, I mean, so we're literally contemporaries in that way when he was a young guy at Stanford and I was at UW and then being a golf fan, then watching him win the Masters in 97, my first year of coaching. So I was a player. Yeah. When I saw him in the stands, I was a player um, to see the dominance and my generation's Jack Nicholas. Yeah. And everything that he meant to the game of golf and globally and outside of the game of what golf. What about the fall? Didn't dissuade you? A lot of people Of course. A lot of people wrote him off and said, I'm done with him. I'm not rooting for him anymore. But it seems like all of those people and then some have gotten right back on the bandwagon yeah. once he started to rebound. My my deal with Tiger was never about listen. <laughs> and yeah, I think you can attest. I'm not a judgmental person. That's not that's not who I am. Like, I, I think that people struggle and this is a hard, what we do every day is hard. I don't care if you're the CEO of XYZ company or you sweep floors or whatever. Life is hard. Like it's a hard thing to go through sometimes and you need support and people fall. And, and so the heroes of the heroes and a guy like Tiger who had his situation, it really wasn't about that. I mean, I was, I was disappointed 
in seeing him go through that and everything that it meant to his family and, and, and all those things. But I was concerned about him as a guy that I'd never met before to say like, okay, what does this mean for him? Right. And then finally to, to kind of see him write the ship a little bit, but then have all the injuries and then go through everything that he went through. I, 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 it was just really interesting to see that whole trajectory of his life and the ups and downs. And then to finally be there with a two footer that I was shaking that he was going to miss by the way. Really? Oh yeah. I did not like really. Yeah. Boy, he, he, he messed, he was a mess on that 18th hole. The second shot, I'm not even sure what he was doing on the second shot. The second shot on the 18th hole yeah. might have been one of the worst shots I saw anybody hit all week. So I listened to him in the press conference. He said yeah. he had mud on his ball. Okay. And he was afraid it was going to go somewhere. He just wanted to put it in position to get it up and down for five. I was watching. Actually, up and not down. Up and down for four. Yes. Up and then down twice yes. for five. You Come on. You didn't think he was going to miss the little one at the end. That would have been one of the worst. Mitch. Looks ever. You really thought he was going to miss the little one at the end? Listen. He wasn't going to miss the little one at the end. Can you give me three minutes? Sure. You can have as many minutes as you want. Okay. So I'm at West Lynn High School in Oregon at an AAU basketball tournament watching the Masters on the Masters app on my phone. Okay. My son is between AAU games. Yeah. And it's getting to the 15th, 16th hole. And all of a sudden he's got a two-shot lead. My son's game is about to start, and my wife and I are sitting watching this on the phone. Game is trying to finish up the game before before my son's game goes on. I'm freaking out, literally watching this on my phone going, all right, this 17th tee shot is the most important tee shot I've ever seen in my life. Like, just get it in the freaking fairway. Put it on the fairway. Boom, he stripes it. Ripped it right down the middle. Stripes it. Then I'm like, hits a great approach shot on 17, misses the putt, but hits a just perfect approach shot. But I'm sitting there saying to my wife, he makes this putt. He's up three with one to go. It's over. He's got a 10 footer, a little slider, leaves it out, whatever. Now I'm like, all right, on 18, just put it in the fairway. And he hits it a little right. He's got to hit a little fade coming out of. So then when he hits that crazy shot, the second shot, I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart is going crazy. I'm like, you know. Thank goodness Brooks Kepka misses the shot. And listen, I want him to win. So there's no let's not shroud this in anything. Everybody I want, did. I want him to win. Yeah. So after Kepka misses, it became about that pitch shot, which we've seen Tiger duff some chips over the years. And I'm like, all right, this pitch, he's just get it on the surface to two putt. All right, he's on the surface. Then when he slides the putt by, I'm like, you can't, you can't miss a two footer to go into a playoff. Like this would be peak Tiger to to miss this no no he's never gonna tiger woods could be 105 years old he's never gonna miss that putt to win a golf tournament 105 year old tiger woods who can't even get to the ball and see it a major he would not stevie wonder if he was stevie wonder okay he uh he would not you know, he's not gonna miss i was it. freaking out you know i i there's so, i have so many emotions yeah. when i look at this i look at it two different ways mm-hmm. Um, one is Tiger Woods, the person sure. and the comeback. And I'm not going to make everything about me, yeah. but you know yeah. um, that people that have had demons and publicly have had problems that have been displayed to the world um, can understand. And uh, I just, I thought it was a wonderful to watch him walk off of 18 yeah. and hug his son yeah. 
who just knows that guy as a dad, doesn't even know him as a major championship right. winner, and then the daughter and the mom. And just the, I, I, I had tears when I tell you, it wasn't that I just had a tear. I, the, the, the floodgates opened. Mm. I was absolutely soaked really? watching nice. the embraces after. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just resonated with me. Sure. The, the, the epic nature of his comeback, both physically, mentally, personally, to be able to be in this place and to watch him in the butler's cabin smiling. And, and we're going to discuss this with Ben Wright. And you'll hear me say to Ben Wright, it felt to me like he's happy. He's a happier guy now than he ever was For before. Sure. For sure. All those other 14 majors, the one in 97, the hello world right. that whole it seems to me maybe it's just easy for me to say that right now and i'm wrong i could be wrong it strikes me that tiger woods is just a happier human being right now mm -hmm. he seemed more appreciative of this one than all the other ones including the the 97 for one sure. when he blew the, the field away so from a personal standpoint i couldn't help but be moved to tears mm -hmm. over watching him with his family celebrate this return and, and conquering a lot in his world, including four knee surgeries and four back surgeries. Right. So it's an amazing, amazing story from a golf standpoint and just from an athletic. And I know there's a lot of people out there that think ah, golf's not really a sport. It's a game. What I marvel about tiger and you were watching on your phone, I was watching on the TV and it, I, I'm sure you're going to say, Mitch, what you just described and what I'm about to describe is true about all the greats, 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 the Jordans and whoever, mm -hmm. whoever you want to compare them to. The ability to slow everything oh, down 100%. when everything gets crazy and hectic and guys are knocking it in. And, and, I, and, I, and I speak to the moment that I can remember it turning was on 12. Yeah. So the two guys in front of him, in the group in front of him, d dump it in the water, yeah. off the hill into the water. Then the two guys in his group dump it in the water, both Finau and the machine, Molinari. Yeah, on the hill, yeah. they, they Off the hill in the water. Mm -hmm. Now it's craziness. Now everything's up in the air. People are going crazy. The buzz, everything's going. And, and I'm sure all of these players, their hearts are going a mile a minute and their thoughts are spinning around. And he has this incredible ability at that precise moment to slow everything down. Sure. No one's going to ever remember the shot on 12 because it's really, it was an indifferent yeah. shot. It's in, at in 40, 40, 40 feet, feet left. left. But you know what? He just said 40 feet left, middle of the green, bam. And then think about every golf shot until 18 when, when the thing was in jeopardy, while every, the place was going crazy and, and everybody's pulse, my pulse sitting watching it on, on the television 3,000 miles yeah. away was jumping out of my wrist, no right? Everybody's chest is pounding. Yeah. Think about the precision that he played with from that shot on. He rips one around the corner at 13. Yeah. He hits a second shot perfectly on a par 5, 13 to 25 feet, two putts for, for birdie. He goes to 14 where he hit it left the whole week. Yes. He pipes it right down the middle, right into the middle of the green. 15, he hits it to the right center of the fairway, right where he has to. He hits a swooping long iron. 234. Right, right yeah. into the middle of the green, precisely the right weight yes. and the right distance. 
16. Oh, he I thought it was going in. One. I thought he it was ma- going ma- in. He makes a one. 17. You needed him to hit it down the middle, right down the middle. Think about the iron shot on 17. Oh, it, it was, was the perfect. On a rope. Whatever he needed to do in terms of yardage yeah. there, it was to the yard, yeah. right at the stick, stick high. Yeah. I mean, every shot from the moment things got incredible. crazy. I mean, nuts. Guys are hitting in the water. Uh, Molinari is chunking chips on 15 up off the tree and into the water. Things are going crazy. Kepka's stepping away from drives. Everybody's going nuts. And he was like, his world was like slow motion. Everything was moving real slow for him. And I guess, as I said, I guess that's why Jordan was great. Yeah. When things got crazy, Jordan could slow the game down, slow the world. He could. It, it, it seemed like Tiger just pressed a button, and he was like, "Okay." He was like, his pulse was Lance Armstrong in his heyday. Yeah. I mean, it was like thirty. It was forty. Yeah. I mean, it was nothing. And it's just amazing how he's able to do that, whether he's forty-three years old or whether he's twenty-two years old. No, and that's to me what I marvel about. Tiger Woods and the greats of the game. You're 100%. I mean, I literally, now thinking back, because during it, I was so focused on every shot. Now reflecting back, you're 100%. Right. Like, he literally hit perfect shot after perfect shot after perfect perfect shot for about four holes. When he, well, out five 12, holes. 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Yeah, six, six holes. Six holes. And when I say, when you say perfect shots, I'm not only talking about perfect shots. To me... It's the length. If he needed to hit a 165-yard iron shot, he hit it 165. Yeah. He didn't let the he didn't hit it 166 right. or 163. He was able to hit every golf shot, specifically the irons, the exact right weight and distance with all of this going on. And you know he was fired oh, up oh, inside. No and yet he's able to just right. just contain all of oh. that emotion. And go out there and slowly, methodically perform and hit every shot where he was looking. Every single shot right where he's looking, except for 18. By the time he, he played yeah. 18, the, the, the tournament was over. Just amazing. I mean, just amazing. So, and now, by the way, PGA, they moved from August to May. So it's next month. You know where it is? Beth Page Black. Right. You know who's won a U.S. Open, Open at Beth Page yes. Black? And then the U.S. Open in June is at Pebble Beach. Do you know who's won many times <laughs> at Pebble Beach? Yes. And then they play the British Open at a place no one's ever seen. But, I mean, there's no telling. He's going to be the favorite at Pebble. He's probably going to – if he's not the favorite, he's going to be one of the top two or three favorites sure. at both Beth Page and Pebble in the British Open. There's no telling. Can Here I he you, goes. Can Here he a, comes. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Because you, you, you have me by, um, what, seven or eight years. More than that, I think. But go ahead. I and, just, and, I just and, caught another one up on you. And uh, – I was not really into golf, um, you know, when I was 12. That was not really my 86. thing. Yeah, that was You're not- going to ask me about 86. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about 86. Because people are making a lot of parallels about Jack at 46 and Tiger at 43. Yeah. And I, I, I don't really know how to answer that. So I'm going to ask you. You're yeah. a little older than I am. And like I said, at 12 years old, it wasn't, it wasn't my thing. It was big for me. I was in college. I grew up right, you with grew the up, boys yeah, yeah. And, and Nan, the daughter. Take and that one part out of it. Okay. Well, why, there's, two, there's two things. In one way, it was very similar. In another way, it was very different. Okay, which one do you want first? Do you want different or similar? 
I want different, different. What was different about it is Tiger Woods went into this Masters as one of the five or six favorites on right. the board. He was playing good golf. Right. He had won the the tour championship in Atlanta last year. He was playing great golf last year. Not great this year, but it, it wasn't like he was off the board in Vegas. Right. I, I don't know exactly where he was, but I think he was one of the five or six favorites in the field. What? Number two big difference is in the final round, he's in the last group of the day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's playing yeah. with the leaders. He's in a tie for a second. You got to understand when Jack Nicholas won in '86, he was an afterthought. People were writing articles that that you can put a fork in Jack Nicholas. He hadn't played well in years. Mm-hmm. He came and then in the final round, he was two hours in front of the leaders. He came back, so he's a 46 year old old man right. who's who's dead it's professionally he's dead he hasn't done anything in years he's not a betting favorite he's not even hardly on the board right no one's even paying attention so to so, him and so in different. the final round i don't know if he started six seven eight shots back and he gets to 10 and he birdies 10 11 he bogeys 12 and 13 14 eagles i mean out of no just the charge yeah but he's out hours in front right. so there's where it's so different. It's so different because yeah. of Jack was Jack was pronounced dead on arrival yeah, yeah, yeah. at the '86 Masters. Yeah. Tiger was felt like okay if he can put it all together, he's got a chance. They, people were talking Tiger. Nobody was talking yeah. Jack. In fact, there's a famous story. I don't know if you know this um, of Jack reading an article. I think it was by Furman Bisher. I can't remember who wrote it in the Atlanta Journal Constitution. He read it on the Tuesday or Monday before the Masters, and it was. It was handicapping all the players who could win. And then at the very bottom, it said, like, Jack Nicholas put a fork in him. You know, he's done. Oh. He, he cut it out. He put it on his, on his refrigerator at the home that he rented in Augusta. That's a true story. So that he could come home after every practice round and every round to see, you know, put a Love fork it. in, like bulletin board Love material. It. So there it was very different. But I have to say to you, I can't speak for others that were around in 86 like I was that remember 86. When I watched that on Sunday, there was a lot of similarities in terms of the emotion of it, not in terms of coming from behind, starting in the final group, could he win, what kind of game did he have going in, what kind of chance, none of that. Just the emotion of, oh my God, this fan favorite who's been through so much and just... Just the, I can't, I, I don't know that I can articulate it. Mm-hmm. I felt a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I felt a lot of 86 as I watched 2019. Yeah. I don't know why. I just felt the same. I, I don't, it's very rare that I've ever watched a sports event where I was emotional. Yeah. I was emotional in 86. I was really emotional over the weekend watching Tiger. So from an emotional standpoint, there was a, an incredible, an incredible connection. For me, between yeah. nine, 2019 and I got two more quick ones. Yeah. The first one, have you ever, in your recollection, recalled a tournament that had such a crazy Saturday and then a Sunday where the billing actually matched the result on Sunday? Well, I might argue with you that the billing matched the result on Sunday because I thought – for about two hours and ten minutes, the play on Sunday was a little shabby. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't Early. think I didn't think much of the first nine. Mm-hmm. 
Nobody wanted to go get Molinari. Nobody was really making a run. Nobody was making a charge. Um, I, I, I thought I thought maybe the sh- the early tee times had something to do yeah. with it. The split tees. It was a wonky. weird day, wonky day. That's a great word, wonky day at Augusta National. So, uh, but the theater on the back nine oh, was just fantastic. Unreal. It was fabulous. Um, and then Saturday was was like the Fourth of July. It was it was, unreal. It, was, it was really unbelievable. And I think a lot. There were a lot of things that kind of aligned yeah. to make it happen. I think the biggest thing was that the golf course all week played really soft. Yep. And when, when Augusta National plays soft, when those greens, when you can come at those greens with long irons and the ball hits and doesn't go anywhere, I think it changes the For whole sure. complexion of of the dreamland place. Yep. When those greens are a little fried and a little crispy late in the afternoons and balls are hitting and skipping and you've got to shoot the ball straight up in the air and bring them down super high to low to be able to stop a ball, then it's a it's a vastly different game. And I think on Saturday, you just had the world's greatest players just firing BBs at oh. flags. They were going at flags. They were just like saying, let's not, we don't have to really respect the golf yeah. course. We don't have to worry about bounces that go off into the into the into the pond or off the fringe or whatever it just seemed like it was such a soft it was so gettable the golf course was so gettable that they went out and got it, it was unbelievable I, I'm not sure that I loved it really it's, I mean I, I liked it a lot but part of the lure of, no. of Augusta is a little bit of tragedy there's got to be tra- doesn't every movie yeah. have to have a little tragedy there's no tragedy on Saturday. I will tell you though because at least in my memory I don't recall I don't recall Augusta playing like that. So it was it was amazing to see people be able to do what they were doing. That was what was so to me that was what was so great about it was wait a minute, you're not supposed to be able to hit a 5 iron into that green and have it hold right. or you're not supposed to hit it on that slope and it stays there yeah. or you know, things that we'd never seen before yeah. happened which was fun. It was it was different. It made the tournament feel and look different and you saw those guys shooting 64s it was just like what in the world is going on well ben wright is 86 years old and was at a million masters including on the call at 86 and we'll ask him to rank this one yeah and i think you're going to be interested in what he says about this one sitting home watching it at 86 years old in north carolina as compared to all the rest that he saw i think you'll be interested in his answer to that the great hall of famer jack sigma well he's going to be a hall of famer finally Great supersonic eighth pick out of, do you remember where he went to college? Illinois Wesleyan. Eighth pick in the 77 draft of the Seattle Supersonics, who won a title in 1979 with that great Sonics team. He was finally elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. He'll be inducted over the late summer and into fall next year. I think it's Labor Day weekend. He'll be inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and he'll be a guest on this show you know the pictures are rolling in the tweets are being sent it seems like every day i'm hearing more and more people say zeke's pizza a great place to watch sports and enjoy pizza with a northwest flair throw in a great selection of craft beer and you've got yourself a night a night with the wife a night with the kids a night with everybody 16 locations north to linwood and bothell south to the brand new 
Tacoma location, which is awesome. I was there for the NCAA tournament. I was at the Bothell location for the Pac-12 tournament. If you're too lazy to go out, have Zeke's delivered. 206-285-8646. That's 206-285-8646 or Zeke'sPizza.com for your order. A Zeke's Pizza deliverer comes straight to your door, not a third party. If you're 21 or older, they'll bring beer, they'll bring cider, they'll bring both ice cold with a shoulder cooler to boot. Zeke's Pizza at home or at one of their great locations, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. All right, you and I have not been together in a long time, so let's cross a few of these things. Where's my bell? Let's cross a few of these things out. We talked a lot of Tiger in the first segment. Um, NCAA basketball championship, nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to see Virginia versus Texas Tech. It was going to be a bore of a game. It was going to be too much defense, and when it was all said and done, great game. one of the greats we've ever seen in the championship great game, right? Great game. What do you remember thinking? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to think back eight days or yeah. ten days or whatever. Right down to the and Texas Tech had it with two possessions to go, and oh. Virginia comes back and ties it. I have some thoughts about that. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Virginia and Texas Tech going to OT and Tony Bennett winning his first national championship the year after he becomes the answer to the trivia question, which will always be asked, who's the one seed or who was the first one seed to lose to a 16th seed in the first round? One of the better sweet 16 games on in to the final that I recall in a long time. Every single game it was from the sweet 16 to the great. final game. It was one great. of the better tournaments I can recall in recent memory, right? Final four games down to the wire, um, some bonehead plays, some clutch plays, the three free throws from guy from Virginia, um, in the semifinal, in the semifinal, right. Uh, you know, the, the final kind of going back and forth. You like to call the foul in the corner. Yeah, it's a foul. You got no problem no, with that no. call, putting him on the line now, in the semifinal. We can go back and forth about the, the double dribble. Um, you know, that was a missed call for sure. I mean, you know, the defender never touched it. It went off the player's back. He dribbled off his own back, yeah. two hands on it, which yeah. makes it a dead ball. Then he dribbles it. Yeah. It was so quick though that I can see where the official might right. miss that, but mm -hmm. it, it should have gone the other way. Um, but ultimately to see Virginia kind of just persevere and grind, I, I, I do have a beef with the narrative of the redemption of the 16 to you do. the one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, here's what I'll say about that. Different team. Those three seniors off of last year, two starters, they did not win a national championship this year. It's a different – every year is a different team, no matter what you have to say about it, no matter – And the one guy didn't play, right, the pro. Yeah. Hunter, Hunter didn't uh, play. He, he didn't even play, didn't in, play. The, in the 16 versus one. He didn't one. play. Right, right. So, like, people are talking – But they about, got beat by 20. They did. By they, 20. They, they, just they got they blasted. Got, <laughs> they got, got absolutely annihilated. Yeah. But people, people are – I saw people on Twitter and social media saying, better redemption story, Tiger Woods or Virginia. And I'm like, Tiger Woods is the same person. His whole life is one thing. You don't you don't count Virginia as the same because those guys are a year older. That team last year, yeah, and that team this year, yeah, they don't exist together. They're you're a different team. Like the University of Washington this year, yeah. Next year, that does not exist anymore. Okay, it doesn't exist. So okay. 
you know, but anyway, Virginia, congrats to Tony Bennett. I mean, that's a it's a hell of an accomplishment. I know that people probably are way beyond the NCAA championship yeah, and yeah. want us to move on, but I'll ju- I just want to make, I've been like waiting. Yes. I've been waiting since that Monday night to do this yeah. so I can throw at you my, my hypothesis. Okay. You recall Texas Tech is up three with just a few seconds to go. And Virginia comes down, hits the three. Then Texas Tech goes down and shoots a three really early in the possession with mm-hmm. nothing going on in their offense, misses, and then Virginia gets the ball, yada, yada. They threw it out of bounds, and there was a bad inbounds play. And you, you, you recall the, 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 the chain of events there. Mm-hmm. Um, I contend, and I will take to my grave, that Texas Tech's greatest attribute and what made them special this year also lost them the game Mm. and that is that they were the best man-to-man defensive team in the nation as great as Virginia was on defense nobody was better nobody was more tenacious and the reason why they were in the final game to begin with was incredible team defense I watched them play and I was like how can I teach my kid a little how can how can we gain something from watching the, yeah. those guys the way they play screens and rolls and the way they hedge and the way they jump out and the way they get back and they just played fantastic team defense and i think when push came to shove and they're up 3 with 10 or 12 seconds to go and a virginia player gets to the basket and is going to the rim it's easy for me in my chair to say you're up 3 let him go and take the ball out of bounds up 1 yeah just let him let his ass go and lay it in and let's take it out up one and, and figure it out the rest of the way. But they were so trained defensively for help defense and what do you do? And they've been playing all year a certain way and helping their teammates out. And when somebody gets by off the dribble, you come help that they they that gear kicked in. It didn't matter that they were up three and they start helping in two or three and they leave hunter wide open in the corner for a three and you're like no just let the guy go to the basket don't leave a shooter open they kick it out and they hit a three so it's my belief Uh oh that's my belief my belief is the reason they gave up a three was because they're such a great they played such great defense that's just the way they play defense and it kind of it kind of came back to bite them because they were helping everybody was thinking help as opposed to we're up three with 10 or 12 seconds to go. Let's not give up an open three-point shot. Here's what's funny about that to me. I had the exact opposite reaction. Really? You thought they played terrible defense no, on that play? I was thinking to myself, why does the guard not just go lay it up? He's got a wide open lane to take the two, the easy two. And yeah. instead, he the convergence comes, but he still could have made the layup. He kicks it out yeah. for the three. And I'm like, no, take the two. And then they drain the three. And I'm like, ah, you know. Ex-co- you think Tony? Yeah. Ex-coach would be like, <laughs> no, 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 nice, yeah. Nice, nice, yeah, yeah. No, 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 yeah. yeah. And then they come down, and the star Culver oh, comes brutal. down. He works off it. They didn't do anything. Nothing. They, did no- they didn't Nothing. run anything. Just a quick three. Yeah. And, of course, it goes to overtime. And even in overtime, they got a four-point lead. Texas Tech had like a four-point lead. All right. People are, people are done with that. Um, you have a thought on, on Cronin, Mick Cronin to UCLA? I'm, I'm be fascinated to see if that works. I think he's a really, really good coach. I think that – his talent base and where he's going to recruit from is going to be LA. I think if he can get players to buy into his physical, tough trapping style of defense and the way that he wants to play. Yeah. Very different to play in 
the A10 or the Big East or the you know then the Pac12 right. with a player that wants to just get up and down the floor and run and shoot. If he can get those guys to buy into that, yeah. it'll be really interesting. Still no Jaden McDaniel's decision. I said A10, AAC, but yes. Still no Jaden McDaniel's decision. Correct. The more I read, the more I'm getting a little excited for your alma mater. Really? Yeah. The more I read, the more I'm getting just a little tinge of excitement. I don't know what Noel's going to do. I'm assuming that Noel's gone. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, it was, at some point, McDaniels is going to have to make a decision. Yeah, come One on. One of these there. days, yeah. he's going to have to make yeah, a decision. there's a timeline on this deal. I keep reading little things here and there, and I'm getting a little excited okay. over the uh, the possibility. I'm starting to feel like he's bound for purple and gold. I'm just saying. I love it. I'm just saying. I hope you're right. Uh when people, most people listen to this episode 35, it's going to be deadline day, April 15th, Russell start of camp, mini Wilson. camp, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson doesn't have a, a new contract. People are speculating. Are they going to trade him? Does he want to go play in New York? It's now that it's, if you're watching social media, I got Jack Del Rio, former NFL coach and NFL star player saying, I won't be surprised if he gets traded. I got some other place doing a whole thing about a three-way trade that he's going to go and Seattle's going to end up with the number one pick in the draft and take Kyler Murray as the the quarter. I mean, it is just rumors are just flying. And Neuheisel, on our last episode, which was the patrons episode that you missed, he says, I wouldn't do it if I'm the Seahawks. Mm. I wouldn't break the bank. I wouldn't do the whole $40 million a year deal. They're not going to win NFL Super Bowls with their quarterback, Russell Wilson. They, the reason they won the Super Bowl was Russell Wilson was great and he was playing for for peanuts, yeah. for nickels. Yeah. And, and Neuheisel says, not a very popular opinion, but I, I, would, not, I would not open up the vault and do this. Wow. Um, I don't disagree, actually. I mean, at 40... 40- Plus million is such a big chunk of the salary. Whatever cap. it is, $35, $40 million. Yeah. Are you going to be – he says that if he doesn't get the deal done, some some websites have reported that they've been working into the wee hours. Maybe by the time this episode actually hits people's phones, yeah. this will be outdated and he will have Could signed be. a contract on April the 15th. But he says if he doesn't sign one, that's it. I'm not negotiating until – after the season's over, which means his contract comes up, and that that brings up: Do we franchise him? Sure. Do we not? Remember, the Seahawks still have the leverage in all this. If they want Russell Wilson at whatever it is, eighteen million this year, thirty-one million next year, and thirty-eight million the following year, they can have him for three more years if they want him. They could also trade him. They could trade him right now, before the right. before the draft. If they want to trade Russell Wilson oh, before man. the draft. They could trade him. Um, they could play him one more year, then sign him to the sign him to the franchise tech, yeah. and then trade him at that point. There's there's a lot of options that the Seahawks have. Do you have one favorite option? Are you as a Seahawk fan hoping what what if you got up uh, in the next couple of weeks and you read the story of Russell Wilson getting traded? Would you be okay with that? I'd be fine with it. You'd Russ- be okay with yeah, it. Yeah, Russell Wilson won. The Seahawks is Super Bowl and, and should have been too. He he did his job. He's a he cemented his legacy as a as a Seahawk franchise quarterback. No question about it. I I 
name me a a quarterback in the NFL that has literally broke the bank from a salary cap perspective and the team went on to win. It just does not, not it doesn't not happen. Happening. So no, it's not, it doesn't happen. So I just, you've got to be realistic about this and say, listen, I love Russell Wilson. I wish that he were to finish his career as a Seattle Seahawk and they were able to get back to the Super Bowl, but the numbers just don't seem to add up the way that this market is going for franchise yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah. You got to make a decision. You got to put a line in the sand and figure that what that what that is. And if Russell Wilson is not willing to make it twenty eight, thirty million dollars to have some flexibility, which he's in his right to not do, you got to move on. Well, I think that um, I think that I agree with you, mm-hmm. and I agree with everybody who says you know the Seahawks are not winning a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson making forty million dollars. Cannot do it. I just don't think they are. Now, could they? I guess they sure. could. But I don't think they are. So then the question is, do you want to roll the dice? Are you willing as a fan to be in jeopardy of going out and watching 5 and 11 football for a couple of 2 3 years? Mm-hmm. If you don't get you know how hard it is to get that quarterback. Yeah. They may never get the quarterback again. We may be waiting as long as the Miami Dolphins fans right. have been waiting to replace Dan Marino. They may never get the quarterback in the next 10 15 years. We could be watching Bad football in Seattle and non-playoff football in Seattle. Are you willing as a fan to bring that into play for the chance to perhaps get the quarterback in the future and win another championship? Or would you rather be safe, see him give him $35 to $40 million a year, have him eat up that salary cap and be... Nine and seven, ten and six, make some playoffs, be competitive. He'll do some nice things. We won't have to worry about five and eleven football for the next four or five years, six years. But yeah. you also aren't going to win a championship because you're not going to be able to build what it takes around him. Those are the two scenarios. As a yeah. Seahawks fan, which one do you like? But rolling the dice and bringing five and eleven into play, you going over the water on the par five, yeah. hitting the two hundred and fifty yard shot to the par five, or? Do you want to sign him to the $35 million a year contract, which is the layup in front of the water, taking double bogey out of play and just enjoying your round of golf? What do you want? Aren't you, if you're John Snyder and Pete Carroll, though, aren't you saying, hey, shave a little bit off what you want so we can go win like Tom Tom Brady and the New England Patriots? Aren't you Aren't you selling? Is not going to do it. Okay, I'm just saying, aren't you trying to sell that? Because yeah, you, that, that, gets, tr- that gets rejected out of hand. Okay, so if it gets rejected out of hand, then... Out of hand. Then, you're forced then to make the other decision, which is we cannot pay you $40 million. In my opinion, you either are trying to sell him on, we need you at 28, 32, 34 million to make this other thing work and have a chance to win okay. every year. Okay. Or you, if you want 40 million, we're done here. Okay. Like, so the first question of the last segment is if you've decided we're done here, yeah. now you've got two other choices. This will be the first question of our last segment after Ben Wright and Jack Sigma. And that is, you got two other choices. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say we are done here. Yeah. We want you to shave it. You're not going to shave it. We're done here. Now you got two choices. You can move them right now. Mm-hmm. You know it's not happening. You know the salary cap's only going up. You know his demands are going to only go up. You can move them right now, or you can play it out. You can play it out and put it off and pay him his 18 and then franchise him. Play him a second year or play out this year and let him go or play two years and let him go or play three years, the Kirk Cousins and let him go. So there's uh, now within the umbrella of 
this ain't happening. There's other choices. That's the first question of our final segment, all right? All right. Okay. By now you know that Daniels Broiler has a brand new location at the new downtown Hyatt Regency, which is now open. While world-class hospitality makes each Daniels special, this new downtown location is truly unique, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week, and that's not all. Located within Daniel's Broiler, the Rick House Whiskey Bar, a bar within a bar, featuring 150 selections of high-end whiskeys and other fine spirits from around the globe. Located at 8th and Howell at the beautiful new downtown Hyatt Regency, this Daniel's has the largest dining room seating capacity, so those coveting Friday and Saturday reservations are more likely to come true at this location. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Well, I don't know how to put it into words, so I have to find somebody a lot smarter and a little older than me, and I think I found the guy. 86 years old, Ben Wright, is that right? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, It's one of the greatest things sports-wise we've ever seen. We all wondered whether he could do it again. And Tiger has indeed captured his fifth green jacket. Uh, There was a lot different than 86, but boy, as I watched the final couple of hours of the broadcast, Ben, it, it felt in a lot of ways just like 1986. How did you feel watching Tiger come down the stretch and hit shot after shot and watch all of the the competitors fall by the wayside? You know something, Mitch? I have to admit, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Even greater than my esteemed hero, Jack Nicklaus. This was absolutely unbelievable to me in fact um i spoke with a a lot of people in the last week who i regard as really good judges you know some pros and and some high-class golfers and everything like that and they all said well you know he's top 20 uh but but no more And I had to say that I agreed with them, and it is it is remarkable, Mitch. Uh, I I am eating an overdose of humble pie here (laughs) because he's uh, he's proved himself to be immortal. And uh, good luck to him, as far as I'm concerned. It's a fantastic performance. The, well, it's the, better, it's the best thing I've ever seen, definitely. No question about it. I didn't, I didn't see all of it because we're served by a power company called Duke <laughs> Energy. And the minute we have a serious storm, which we are enduring now, uh, they, they quit. And they put all their guys out to go and uh, mend everything in the awful weather. (laughs) And they sit in their ivory tower and say, it costs too much to bury cable. (laughs) 
it's, it's, it's the biggest load of rubbish I ever heard. Anyhow, uh, thank the good Lord I was able to witness it. And, uh, you know, my my choice, uh, Brooks Kepka, kept him honest, too. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, just couldn't come up with a, a key putt on 17 and or 18 to try to put the, the pressure on Tiger to have to actually play the 18th and not be able to make bogey to win. It's an act, even though your power went out, that you've seen so often before, and it really turns at the number 12 hole, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what you did see, yeah. and it pulls on all of our heartstrings, whether you like Tiger or not, we've seen some pretty incredible embraces in fact, I, I would hearken to say that the greatest embraces in sports that we've ever seen probably all happened at Augusta National. The embrace between Jack and Jackie on the 18th green, just to the side of the 18th green as Jack captured his sixth green jacket in 86. Mm-hmm. We'll remember that. Of course, Tiger, yes. Tiger and his father, who was so ill uh, just behind the 18th when he won his first Masters title. And then... Um, this year, we see Tiger embrace his mom. We see him embrace his two kids and hold them tight the way his father held him tight so many years before. Just, yes. it's it's more than sports, isn't it? It really is. It, it's a hugely emotional thing. And, you know, whether you like Tiger or not, and I have my reservations because I... I think a lot of his troubles were self-inflicted. But I cannot ignore the total majesty of this performance. And as far as I'm concerned, it is the greatest. It, it's the greatest I've ever seen in a very long life of seeing great things, you know. Mm-hmm. When we go back to the 12th hole... Um, he's, yes, a, he's a couple, which I missed. uh, yeah, but you've seen it so often in the past. Um, yes. we come to the 12th hole, that little devilish par three with the pin on the Sunday, traditional right pin placement mm-hmm. and four of the players in his group and the group before all hit the ball into the pond. They miss it to the right and short. It hits the, the slope halfway up the slope and comes back down and trickles into the water. And all of a sudden, a two-shot deficit becomes a tie for the lead and then the lead and then cruising on to his fifth green jacket. What is it, Ben, in your estimation about that 12th hole where we see so many of these world-class players hit shots? I don't know whether they're blocking them to the right and they're meaning to go left or they're shooting right at the pin and coming up 10 or 12 yards short. I don't understand it, but we see it year after year that there's something mysterious about that 12th hole that so often uh, makes the difference in who wears the green jacket. What are your thoughts on that hole? Well, my thoughts, first of all, that I have played it many, many times and never had that uh, final day pin placement, but I never made worse than par, for goodness sake. Um, you know, and so uh, I, I'm ill-equipped to talk about uh, uh, how difficult it is because it was never difficult for me. But i got to say, the great Ben Hogan, I talked to him, 
And he completely confused me because he was talking about the flag on 11 and the flag on 12. Mm -hmm. And he would not play his tee shot until he saw those two flags blowing in the same direction to tell me, to tell him, sorry, that he knew which the direction of the wind was coming from. And I found that totally fascinating. And when I played the hole many, many times, I, I often thought of what Mr. Hogan had said, and I, I adopted the same attitude. I waited till I saw those two flags blowing in the same direction, and then I knew which way the wind was blowing. And it, it's a remarkable thing. And, uh, you know, I, it may sound like rubbish, but it, it was, uh, this is an absolutely true story. And I think, you know, it's indicative of what a great player Ben Hogan was. And by the way, why I'm so keen to uh, reflect on Mr. Hogan was that until today, I regarded Hogan, uh, Hogan's comeback as the greatest comeback of all time. But it now has a serious rival. Yeah. And yeah. the important thing is that Tiger accepted with, with a great deal of grace the Ben Hogan Award this spring, at, at, earlier in the week, um, at the Golf Riders Association annual dinner. He, he accepted that award for the, you know, the, the best comeback of the year from serious injury. Uh, so it's all, all part of what is going to be one of the great legends of the game. Part of the story in the final round, always the the patrons roar, the roars on the second nine out of Augusta National. And again, we see yes. it. We saw it with Nicholas. There was something dif different about a Nicholas roar than a roar from any of his of his peers. Same thing on Sunday at Augusta National. Don't you think, Ben, the the roars were where Brooks Kepka has to step away from his tee shot at 17 because yeah. of Tiger's near hole out on 16 and and different guys yeah. having to step away from putts. It's just it, it's just a different there's I, I I asked the question before the final round of a lot of our listeners, what how many strokes is the home field advantage worth? There really is a home field advantage in golf at the Masters, isn't there? That's very true. And you know something? I'm sure I've told you many times that when Nicholas was winning in 1986, it was the only time in 27 years working with the legendary Frank Chikinian that I couldn't hear mm -hmm. what he said to me. And I'm sure that the boys who are broadcasting today uh, experience that same problem. The noise, it, it's up a, up, up a, a few thousand decibels <laughs> for anything that's ever been heard before. So we're, we're forced to ask ourselves the next question 
Uh, ben, and that's the natural next question. When we watch Tiger win at the Masters, we know there's magic between him and Augusta National, this just the way there was with Nicholas. But his game looks awfully solid also, and one is left to wonder, you know, the U.S. Open is at Pebble, where he won by a million shots. The newly moved, remodeled PGA Championship is next month at Beth Page, where Tiger has won. Um, he's always yeah. a threat across the pond. Uh, is this... Is this just the beginning of the comeback, or do you think, you know, that this was the natural place for him to win his 15th major, the Masters, and, and he won't be able to overcome those other great venues? You know something? I, I think that with uh, a bit of luck, with his health and everything like that, and with the character he's shown, I think... Um, he can get very close to Nicholas's uh, total uh, of victories. I mean, it's 15 to 18. Yeah. I think he could be a close run thing because uh, Tiger at 43 and Nicholas was 46 when he won it, as you know, in 86. I think Tiger's in incredible shape. Uh, I really do. And it, it, it now seems to be Incredible mental shape. He's got rid of the, sh- the yips with his chipping and mm-hmm. all that other crap that he's put behind him. You know, I think we could have a, a close run thing yet. And I, I admire what you say about Pebble Beach and Beth Page Black. You know, I would say he's going to start favorite of both of those. Mm-hmm. Before you, now, Royal Port, yeah, Royal, yeah. Royal Port Rush, right? You know the the venue for the uh, British Open for the first time since Max Max Faulkner won in 1951. Um, that's a, that's an uh, that's another matter because I I don't know that he's even ever played there. You know, but uh, I I you know I think he has. A serious chance to win PGA and Open. One of the greatest things we've ever seen in sports, Ben says in his 86 years, it is the greatest accomplishment, even better than Jack's accomplishment in 86. Tiger Woods winning his fifth green jacket at the age of 43 at Augusta National in 2019. I guess my my final question is more speculative than anything else because none of us really know but watching him accept the green jacket after all that he's been through, you know, human nature tells us that sometimes when we're in our primes in whatever we do, Ben, we kind of take day after day for granted. And then something mm-hmm. presents some adversity in our worlds and we have to work our way back to wherever we were. And oftentimes, once you get back to the top of the hill late late in the game, it's actually more enjoyable than the earlier success. It almost felt to me like as he was in Butler Cabin with the guys at CBS, that face, that smile mm-hmm. seemed as if maybe he even enjoyed this one more than the very first one when he hugged his father in 1997. I would say, I would say you're absolutely on the mark there. I think there's nothing more fulfilling than accepting a second chance. Um, you know, I, I feel that same way about my own life. You know, I, I 
had a poisonous exit from CBS. But I'm now totally at peace talking to lovely people like you who are still wanting to talk to me, although I'm damn nearly 87. <laughs> And I'm gonna so, want I'm gonna you know, want to talk I'm gonna want to talk to you when you're damn near 88, 89, and 92. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh, but you know, seriously, um, I've achieved a lot of peace in my life by uh, you know taking second chances and and getting them, uh, thankfully. And and I I could I could say. That if I'd been in Tiger's shoes, I would say that's the greatest achievement of my life. Ben, let's discuss. Um, I guess it would be Beth Page's next, the PGA Championship in a in a weird month of May. I hope you don't forget, and I hope that the power doesn't go out for you when they uh, when they tee it up <laughs> on Long Island. No, the funny thing is, I'll be up there then. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we, my wife, Helen, and I, summer in Southampton, Long Island, and I was guest of the uh, USGA, as was she, at the Shinnecock Open last year, and I'm hoping I might be invited <laughs> to the best place. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you will, and uh, we should only hope that we see half of the entertaining tournament that we saw over the last... Uh, four or five days. Ben Wright, thank you yeah. so much. Tiger's a champion again. His fifth green jacket, his 15th overall major championship. And I, I I count myself as blessed being able to discuss it with you on the telephone thereafter. So let's discuss the uh, the PGA championship once we get there at Beth Page Black. I agree. I agree. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon, Ben. Okay, mate. Bye-bye. There it is, the perspective of Ben Wright, 20-some-odd years, the broadcaster for CBS at the Masters, and umpteen more with the BBC on one of the greatest sports events we'll ever see. Tiger Woods completes the comeback by winning his fifth green jacket and his 15th major championship. Unbelievable. Our newest sponsor and partner, as the case may be, is the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. I am thrilled to have Jordan Flowers and his group join us as a partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Guild Mortgage, a top 10 mortgage lender in the United States, 55 years and counting as a mortgage bank, one of the oldest, long-lasting mortgage banks in the entire country, focused on the clients and programs that are responsible and safe for the consumer. This is the winner of the 2017 J.D. Power & Associates number one mortgage lender in customer satisfaction. If you are contemplating purchasing a new home, you owe it to yourself to check out Guild Mortgage before you do anything once and for all. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, by the way, has four different top 1% loan officers in the United States. In offices overlooking Lake Washington, find the loan to fit your life. Select from hundreds of loan products tailored to your needs. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. Episode 35 continues. Don't forget, the next episode will be a patron episode on the Patreon website for all you patrons out there. Joining us 
on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is an old friend, and what an honor. He just recently was named to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. All these years later, the Sonic, the great Sonic forward center, Jack Sigma, is our guest. Jack, congratulations. What took so long? <laughs> I don't know, and I really, at this point, don't care. <laughs> I'm in. So it's, it's fantastic, and especially, you know, when you get an honor where it's all your peers are, are uh, the ones that decide whether you're worthy. And so when the call came, I was ecstatic. And uh, it's it's been a little bit of a whirlwind since then. Um but I'm enjoying every minute of it. You know, and all the all the time that you and I have been together, I don't know if I've ever really asked you how important it was to you. Uh, it almost, I guess, seemed like it wasn't going to happen. I'm assuming you kind of gave up at some point, or maybe you didn't. Tell us how important this honor was, and at some point along the line, did you just throw your hands up and say, well, I guess I'm going to come up just a little short? You know, I, I never got frustrated with it, and I... I I didn't view it uh, as anything more than just the ultimate honor, uh, but it didn't define what I did on the basketball court. And so um, I I didn't fret about it. Uh, I think some things began to fall in place for me, though, as far as the timing in that there has been a few players recently who have gotten in from kind of my generation in the game. Um, I also had a few people who really helped get the ball rolling. Um, my college coach, Dennis Bridges, basically was on the first-name basis with everybody at the <laughs> Hall of Fame about getting, <laughs> uh, why isn't Jack in, look at his uh, career, you know, honors, whatever. And then uh, I had a number of people um, – write some letters uh, on their own. They, they felt the same way. I've been working with uh, Toronto in the last three years on a consultant basis, and I've spent a lot of time with Wayne Embry, who is uh, you know one of the pillars of NBA basketball from the sense of uh, both his playing days and then uh, really being the, the first black hired in the front office to run an organization in Milwaukee in the early 70s and uh, a contributor to the game in so many different ways. And uh, he, he really rang the bell for me uh, quite a bit with the people in the, um, who ran the hall. And uh, he was familiar with how you get through the induction or, or the, the committees to, to be chosen to be inducted. Yeah. Also, I think uh, this year was just one of retros respect in the sense that all the guys that I, I'm going in with, I, I played against. It was in my generation with teammates, uh, Sidney Moncrief in Milwaukee. I, I played a year with Paul Westfall in Seattle. I cut my teeth my first rookie year, the uh, second playoff series. I was uh, matched up with Bobby Jones. Uh, I, I caught a, uh, a little bit of uh, Vladi Divac's career, and he he got in as, as international and well deserved. So uh, they also talked about um, instead of just scoring points, they kind of looked at uh, some people who uh, were very effective in other areas of the game. You're talking about 
defensive first teams and defensive player of the year in Sydney and Bobby Jones. Yeah. I made an all defensive team one year, you know, rebounding, whatever. It wasn't just scoring. And uh, I think uh, they made a uh, maybe the voters got a chance to look at it a different perspective, and there were some people that stood out. So, uh, again, whatever the process, uh, whatever it took, uh, it feels really good. And, and like I said, I'm really happy with the class I'm going in with, too. 17,000 points, 11,000 rebounds in an NBA career. Uh, 79 NBA championship, which we'll talk about here in a second because that's near and dear to a lot of people's hearts that listen to this podcast. Seven times an all-star. You mentioned your head coach, Dennis Bridges, right, from Illinois Wesleyan who, who helped you get into the, in, to the, into the Hall of Fame. I figure he owed you. He's owed you for a long time. Uh, I think it might be interesting to me and others wh- why. I, I read somewhere you could have probably gone anywhere you wanted to go. Why, why was it Illinois Wesleyan that you ended up playing your college basketball? Number one, I was really a late bloomer. Um, I was six one as a soft, sophomore in high school. A guard. You were Washington. a guard, right? Uh, I was guard. I played the, <laughs> played the wing. I was a shooter uh, facing the basket. And then I grew, I think, four or five inches two years in a row. And all of a sudden, I'm a big, gangly, skinny <laughs> center uh, playing inside. In which in high school, um, you know, the that size advantage you just turn around and shoot it and whatever but I still uh, needed to physically mature and uh, I, I, I got some offers from some Big Ten teams I grew up in the state of Illinois watching Illinois, University of Illinois basketball and as a young person that was, that was like a dream uh, recruited had a recruiting trip to Purdue to Kansas State uh, took a, uh, you know lots of phone calls from a few other people I was a little farm boy, and Coach Bridges started uh, uh, recruiting me early my senior year, and he just kept on it and on it. I think he saw me play in person 10 games. Now, uh, keep keep in mind that he was also coaching his basketball team in college and also had to do all the scouting you know, back then, so he was on the road all the time. I tried to convince myself that uh, I – I wanted to and choose a, a Division One big school, but I just didn't feel as comfortable. I knew I was going to play right away, yep. and I felt like if I can get on the court, um, my uh, ability to develop would, would come at a faster pace. I probably would have had a red shirt at another university. Right. Um, and Coach made a great commitment to me. He said, uh, Jack, I don't know where this can go, but I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm committed personally to you that we'll find a way to, to, to get you wherever uh, you're able to go. So we played some majors every year. Um, I got a big break um, by being invited to the – Olympic trials in 76, but all those things that uh, he committed to, he carried out. So mm-hmm. he's been a close friend and mm-hmm. a golf partner, and uh, we we talk a lot. Um, and he was the one that, uh, at the end of my uh, freshman year, said, hey, Jack, you, you've got no low post game. we got to figure this out. And I'm a firm believer of establishing a go-to move and hence that was the That's my next uh, creation of the sigma move yeah. which which yeah. is 
you know, recognized throughout the world of basketball now. So um, his impact was huge, and it was the right place for me to go. You know, that was my next question, the famous move. How, how many shots a day did you have to practice that shot to become so adept at it? And what would your NBA career, what kind of career, what kind of basketball career would you have had if you didn't have that shot? Well, it took a lot of repetition. I know we, uh, because with the with the inside pivot signal move, you can you can pivot off of both feet. So we just started doing it a hundred times from each side, with, uh, per each foot. So that's four or five hundred uh, attempts a day. And this started in the fall of my uh, sophomore year, um, and we really did it without defense just let's get the repetition going and as i'm working with bigs i i still am a huge believer and it's not just the inside pivot but pivoting and pivoting to a balanced position so you're ready to attack and uh did it over and over and over again and then my poor teammates coach would trade them off and then the They'd have to spend a lot of time just guarding the move, and uh, so it it became clear that this was a move we we're going to commit to. So we did, and then I started that season, and I would get the ball in the post, and it just I wouldn't do it. It wasn't second nature yet. I don't know if I didn't believe in it or you know confidence wise. And coach would be standing on the sideline screaming, do your move, do your move. And uh, finally, one game, I think it was December, we were probably 10 games in the season, the first half of the game, I did my move, and I think I hit, it was 9 for 10 from the field. And, Ooh, that was it. You know, that's all it took. Yeah. I was off to the races. And you see that a lot with young players now. Wow. It's just, you put in a lot of work, you put in a lot of work, and at some point in time, you hope for that moment where it translates to the court and the light bulb goes on and usually once that happens uh they're over the hump and uh they've they've added to their skill set and that's exactly what happened to me the great jack sigma a friend seventeen thousand points eleven thousand rebounds and now a basketball hall of famer or he will be when he's inducted uh in uh, late august early september Coming up, after all of these years of waiting, a seven-time All-Star, an NBA champ in 1979. I want to know, because I wasn't around, I didn't even know who the Sonics were. We're going to get to, at the end here, a little story of when your and my paths crossed for the very first time. I think this being the day after what happened yesterday in the golf world, I think people will get a kick out of that story. But I want to know about the trade from Seattle to Milwaukee, I've read different versions of the trade, so I want to hear it from you. Did you walk into the GM's office and ask for a trade out of Seattle, or how did that go? Why were you traded from Seattle to Milwaukee? I did walk into the office and have a discussion with Lenny. <laughs> you did? Uh, he was the GM at the time. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I was... I probably got in my own way a little bit too much. We've had a couple of frustrating seasons as, as far as wins and losses. Um, Bernie Bickerstaff came in and first year coach and worked his tail off. And, uh, you know, it was nothing about the coaching um, or anything like that. But I just thought a fresh start would do me some good. I probably, uh, there was some pros and cons to it. None of the cons are what happened in, in Milwaukee. I had a great five years there and, and played for two great coaches, and uh, Don Nelson and, and uh, Del Harrison learned a lot 
from him and had a great set of teammates who were really solid. Unfortunately, was uh, the we were in the same division as Detroit and Chicago, who were two of the best teams in the league at that point in time. So uh, that was a great experience. And uh, but I think it was also um, how should I put it? Maybe uh, a little short-sighted uh, about. Um, you know, where I was at and uh, what my expectations were. And it uh, it was more about a change of attitude versus change of scenery that was probably needed. And uh, so I learned from that. And uh, actually, it's, it's helped me uh, down the road. Again, this is, uh, I'd love my years in Milwaukee and uh, for it to work out that way. That's fantastic. But uh, there was some personal growth that uh, I needed, uh, which came about because of that situation and my decision. Have any regrets? No, no, no regrets. Uh, I think life is a process, and um, you, you just uh, try to listen to people and and uh, make the best decisions you think at the time. So, uh, like I said, it was, uh, when you look at it uh, from the sense of, uh, I'm sure there were some people in Seattle, particularly Lenny, who I played for for nine years. I walk in and ask to be traded, and, you know, that was a tough situation, and uh, he respected what I wanted. I mean, um, Lenny was a, a supporter of me for making the haul now and that type of thing, so... Uh, but you move on. And uh, um, from the Seattle perspective, I knew I was going to keep it my home um, and uh, still felt like this was a good move for me. So um, it's all good, Mitch. It's all good, especially since I got the phone call last Tuesday. It's really all good. <laughs> well, you and Sean and the boys have been terrific assets to the Pacific Northwest and the community all these years, and I I felt so happy for you, and uh, it's a long time coming, and I congratulate you. I'm very excited that this worked out the way it should have. Now, before you go, I know the kind of fan, anybody who knows you knows that you have a passion, and that's the game of golf. You love to play it. You love to watch it. We all watched over the weekend one of the most historic sports events any of us have ever seen to watch Tiger win his fifth green jacket. Uh, I think people might get a kick out of hearing uh, when your and Mitch Levy's paths crossed for the first time. What year was it that you and I – saw one another for the first time. What year would that have been? I think it was 1980 or 81. I can't tell. Well, say it's 80. Uh, Well, I think what uh, – okay. Okay. I think what's evident, it it was more memorable to you than to (laughs) me as far as (laughs) – No, that's not necessarily true because you're going to tell people why it was better. The basketball camp part of it where I met Mitch Levy. Now that the – the morning of the camp. No, no, wait! Uh, don't, jump. don't jump! Don't jump! Don't jump! Don't jump the story. Okay, okay. Okay, so it's 1980, okay. and I'm a 13-year-old private school brat at a little basketball camp. I want to tell you, I remember I won the free throw shooting contest that year, Jack. And don't dispute that. I have the proof. I have the trophy somewhere to prove it. It should translate better to, to your putting, then. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> 
Yeah. So okay. So I'm a so I'm a 13 year old uh, private school, probably what seventh grader at a little at a little uh, school basketball camp in the summer of 1980, and all of a sudden they open the doors. And this giant of a human being comes walking through the doors in, in North Palm Beach, Florida, a million and a half miles away from the Pacific Northwest. This blonde, this big guy, I've never seen a guy this size in my life face to face, comes walking in and he's wearing his 43 green and yellow jersey, the whole the whole kit and caboodle, the, the top, the bottom, the really short shorts, the sneakers. He comes walking into the gym, and he takes pictures, and it turns out it's the great NBA champion Jack Sigma. Now, many years later, I told you this story when I met you 100 years later as a friend here in the Northwest, and I said to you, why in the world did you come across the country to, to show up at a little South Florida gym to take pictures at a basketball camp. How much could they have had to pay you to come across and do this 3,000, 4,000 miles away? And you then told me the story. Tell the story of our listeners. What got you to get on that plane and come take a picture with us? Well, uh, back then I was like just a couple years into the league and I was uh, – I was talking to my college coach, uh, Dennis Bridges, again, about the fact that I was considering uh, look, uh, changing rep- representation. Mm-hmm. And so he was asking questions and so forth. And he said, you know, I just talked to a buddy of mine uh, down in Florida that lives next door to Jack Nicholas. And Jack was then with, uh, had been with Mike McCormick, and he had decided, I think, to go on his own and do the Golden Bear thing. And, yeah, well, yeah. of course, in June of 1980. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 And uh, and that's why I'm pretty sure it was 80. Okay. So uh, anyway, I had a a great conversation with Jack and um, uh, it 
his office, and uh, he was very gracious and whatever. And of course, of course, Coach and I brought our golf clubs too. <laughs> so we, after it was over, we hurried hurried over and and got the camp responsibilities out of the way. And, and again, I'm tongue in cheek here a little bit. I enjoy uh, working with young people and doing the camps and so forth. And, yeah. Uh, I guess you and I took a picture at yep. some point in time. We did. And uh, then we went out, and I believe Jack's course at home was Frenchman's Creek, or what was it? Uh, Lost Tree. Lost Tree Village, probably. There was a Frenchman's Lost Creek. Lost Tree Village, okay. Yeah, you could have played Frenchman's Creek or Lost Tree Village. That's I, right. I did. We played Frenchman's uh, Creek. And, with Jack? Uh, Not with Jack. No, not with Jack. No, yeah. Jack was there practicing, though. Yeah. He was on the range yeah. working away. And uh, so we got a chance to play and then spent the night and then came back. So it was uh, a memorable trip. And uh, I've run into Jack a couple more times um, at some events in Seattle with his opening up golf courses or whatever. And we chatted about it and he's laughed. But. Uh, yeah, it was startling when I met you for the first time. We started talking, and you brought that up. That, that's, it's a small world. It's a very small world. So if you were to rank um, the three items from that trip, uh, the hour with Jack in his office, the round of golf at Frenchman's or Lost Tree, and getting on one knee and taking a picture with 13-year-old Mitch Levy, how would you rank them one to three? In terms of level of enjoyment, do you do you really have to <laughs> hear that from me? <laughs> did you? Uh, that, that's, that's pretty evident. Uh, I will say this: I enjoyed Mickey uh, Mickey Neal. He he seemed like a great guy, and we chatted. Uh, and again, uh, kids were polite. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. some seven footer unexpectedly walks in. <laughs> I I would take a. I, I still had the straight hair back then. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I wasn't in the. Yep. So. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, it yeah. was it was it was a fun trip and a great experience. Jack, Jack, I am so so happy for you and Sean and the boys. What a great honor! What a well-deserved honor! I'm hoping to make the trip back there so I can be somewhere in attendance and cheering you on from the back of the room. Um, I've gotten to know you and your family over the years, and uh, you're special, special people. Congratulations. A job well done, and uh, what a great few months it's going to be as we, uh, we count you down to uh, entering the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Mitch, thank you very much. Uh, it's going to be an exciting time. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, also, a way to go with the podcast. Really enjoy it. Uh, I'm a, a, a listener. And Thank you. Jay Ham do a, a good Thank job. You. Uh, keep it up. Thank you. Talk to you soon, Jack. Thanks so very much. All right, Mitch. Thanks. The terrific Jack Sigma, who enters the Hall of Fame after all of these years, the eighth overall pick in the 19, I want to say 77 draft, went to the NBA Finals in 78, lost to the Bullets, turned around and went back in 79, and beat the Bullets, bringing Seattle an NBA championship in 1979. We'll get Jay Ham back in here in a minute. Evergreen Golf Call has not wasted a minute making an incredible mark on our podcast, Mitch Unfiltered. First, Tyler Hayes said, we want to give away three grand prize trips to the cities where we have offices, Napa Valley, San Francisco, and Portland in the first 
first ever unfiltered madness contest presented by Evergreen Golf Call. Now they're doing it again, stamping their name on the Mitch Unfiltered Majors Challenge, which culminated at least with the first leg, the Masters, the first of four legs. The Masters is now in the books with Tiger winning. Don't forget you want to make additional picks in the PGA Championship in May, then the U.S. Open, and then the British Open in July. Even if you didn't get a pick in for the Masters, you can still win the all-expense-paid trip for two to Pebble Beach, courtesy of Evergreen Golf called the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, managing over $2 billion in assets, the fastest-growing wealth manager in 2018 by the Puget Sound Business Journal, just one of the 2018 top advisors in America in the Financial Times. Check out what Evergreen Golf Call does so very well at evergreengolfcall.com. That's Evergreen G-A-V. V-E-K-A-L. They have a newsletter with over 10,000 readers. Evergreen Golf called the premier wealth manager of the Northwest. Unfiltered. The always colorful Ben Wright. And Jack Sigma, do you remember Jack Sigma as a player? I mean, you probably oh, do yeah. a little bit, yeah, maybe a little more bit. with the Milwaukee Bucks yeah, yeah. than you do with the Sonics because sure. you're 43 and they won it in 1979. And the story, the story of Mitch Levy at age 12 or 13 running into Jack Sigma <laughs> in North <laughs> yeah, Palm Beach, Florida. I have the picture. I got to oh. find the picture. I got to post it on Twitter that's or funny. on the Facebook page. If I could just find it again. I brought it when I met Jack the picture was discussed in our interview. When I met Jack uh, 25 years ago and we became a little bit friendly, when I went home on a visit to visit my mom and dad, I went through all the pictures and I found it and I brought it and I showed him and Sean. That's the pic- they, they laughed like you would not believe. And I don't know where I've put it since. Uh, it's somewhere in this house. Yeah. I've got to post the picture of 12-year-old oh, Mitch Levy and Jack Sigma in his uniform. In 1980, him on his knee with the blonde oh, hair that's so just good. after winning the NBA title. Anyway, uh, and then there's Ben Wright, who called it the greatest. Yes. The greatest performance he's ever, the greatest event, the greatest Masters, better than Jack, better than them all, the greatest that he's ever seen. All right. Before we went to the interviews, we were talking about Russell Wilson, and you and I kind of agree that we wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to put words. No, no, wouldn't do it. We're not doing it. Wouldn't do it. If if it's $35 million a year, it's the biggest contract in the history of the NFL, it's all this guaranteed money, and it's going to take up a huge chunk, and if he wants five, six years, you and I are like Neuheisel. We're not doing that, right? The only caveat to that is this. Yeah. If you can pay him 35 and you still have a plan moving forward, if you're John Snyder and Pete Carroll and you're like, we can actually do this and pay him 35 and we see how we can make this work, then okay. I just don't see how that works. But I'm not in – I'm not – I don't know the board. I don't know what the salary cap looks like. That's the only way. That's my only caveat. To okay. S- right? Okay. That's, yeah, I got you. Yeah, that's I my, got you, but I, I don't know how to – I don't know how to put that and, in the and we're words. Not, so let, let's, let's just assume – it's not feasible to pay him $40 million a year and make the team work. Because that's kind I, of the- I'm not sure it's 40 today. To do a deal today, I don't think it's 40 a year. 35. I think it's approaching 35 yeah. a year. Yeah. Between 30 and 35 a year. Okay, so let's let's assume that the Seahawks decide 
I'm taking Jay Ham and Mitch's advice. We're done. We're, mm-hmm. we're not. We, we we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. It's just too much, too much committed. Even though the quarterback position is the most important position in all of sports, right. we're just not. We don't think we can build. We got Frank Clark. We got Bobby Wagner. We don't think we can build a winner around him by giving him this much guarantee and having him count against the cap as much yeah. as you. Okay, so now that brings up the next question, the next layer of of options. You can move them right now. You could just decide right now. You might be able to get the number one pick somehow in a three-team trade or something. Mm-hmm. You may be able to get Kyler Murray. I don't know if you love – I don't know if they love – when I say you, I mean they love. You, you could cut bait. If you know this is not going the right direction and we're not signing this guy, you could cut bait right now and move them before the first of the year, before the first game of the year. Or you could say, okay, he's not holding out. He's not the type that will hold out. Let's play him for the $18 million. Then his contract expires. Then you have to make a choice of let him walk for nothing, practically nothing, mm-hmm. uh, compens- c- compensatory picks, I'm assuming, or we can franchise him. We'd, we'd guarantee him 31 on the exclusive franchise. He may or may not be willing to play for that. Let's assume he is. And we give him $31 million against the cap next year. It's a big number. Uh, you could do that, and then you could franchise him a second time the following year for $38 million. What are you doing with Russell Wilson if we're not giving him the extension, if we've decided we're out on the extension? What are you doing? Personally, and this might be an unpopular opinion. Well, the whole thing is unpopular because right. people are going to be throwing things at their podcasts yeah. because you and I aren't, aren't <laughs> signing Russell Wilson. Yeah, I, I, I would say – there's no reason to wait. I just don't. If you know that the money is too big to make a winner happen and you don't think you can win a Super Bowl, you got to pull the Band-Aid off. Like, right now. Right now. Like legit right now. You've got to make a Even move. though his number's only $18 million for this next year. If you can take get, one more okay, shot with him right, for eighteen okay, million, let me let me let me rephrase and that then, because you set it up differently than now the way that you're presenting it back. Well, to me. well, here's you're the, like if you can get now. I'm not saying that I want Kyler Murray or anything. I'm just saying like if the package is right, okay, to make the move, yeah. you make the move. If not, you don't make the move. But if you can make a move that is future forward and it makes complete sense to get what you can get, get it. Do it now. Do it. Because if you if you have him for 18 now, you may or may not, depending on how he feels about the franchise tag at 31, if he holds out and there's big drama and that like okay. is he is he in or is he out of your plan for the future? And if you can get what you can get now, you move him. Okay. Um I, I'm I'm okay with that. I, I just okay. I, I don't know. I think what you're kind of saying is we we don't know is what's the compensation package that they could get for right. him this year with one more year left on his contract and then all the franchise tags yeah. versus what you can get a year from now. I would say that if the chances, if, if the package is the same, if you franchise him a year same. from now, if you can franchise him a year from now to hold his rights for one year and then move him and get the same package that you could get right now, I'd play him one more year I here agree. for $18 million. I don't know that that's the case, though. You may, you may lose what you can get back by, right. by using him for the year. 
But uh, you know what? It's going to be fascinating to see. And again, all this may be for naught because at the time the people are listening yeah. to this episode 35. He could sign a deal. He could have already signed a deal. Yeah. And then what do I do? I, I, I'm sorry. We're recording this at a time that he hasn't <laughs> signed the deal. Um, all right. NBA, NBA playoffs have start. You're an NBA guy. Give me the finals. Give me the who's going to play in the finals. Who's going to win the NBA championship? Bucks, Warriors, Warriors. Bucks, you're going chalk, chalk, chalk. Yeah. Okay. Who, who are you rooting for to win the title? Oh, I don't think I have a rooting interest in, you know, I don't have a team. It's not like I, I like individual players these days. There's no there's no teams, but I, I think I don't think anybody beats the Warriors, honestly. I just don't think you can beat them in a seven-game series. Anybody, whether it's West Western Conference or Eastern Conference. I think I'm fascinated by the Bucks though, to see their growth and whether Giannis – is is you know an MVP guy that can lead his team to the finals in a yeah. soft Eastern Conference, right. or if somebody else is going to pop out of there, whether it's Toronto or whomever else. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 interested. Bucks, in Gold State, but you'll root for bu- the Bucks in that series. You no, root for no, the Greek no, no. I, I'd like I'd like to see still the, the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, because right. it's the end of their era. I okay. think they're done. Okay, before you name the episode and you've got a decision to make. Yeah, uh, I just want to point out that uh, a 13 and two Mariners team. And a two and thirteen Mariners team have one thing in common, which is can't beat the Astros. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're 159 and one, yeah, and you got two games to go. You can't beat the Astros. Oh. They haven't been able to beat the Astros. They never can beat the Astros. They ain't beating the Astros. We found that out. All right, episode Kevin Durant is in the books. Really. I didn't even get a. I didn't get a ding. We didn't even get a closeout. Well, that's not the clue. You got to say why you're doing what you're doing. You got to. He's it, the only 35. I thought you were going to go off with Tiger. No, no. Nope. To chronicle, people are on Twitter saying, "Don't do this." No, give it to Tiger. No. Nope. By the time, by the time this show gets to episode 82 or 83, yeah, then it'll be Tiger. Because he's going to win more majors. Because he's going to pass Sam Snead's. All-time major er, oh, victory. How about PGA when he passes Jack Nicholas? Is he gonna? We we've don't ar- think he's gonna pass Jack Nicholas. We've Nichols, already we've we've already surpassed the 18s and the 19s. We're going forward. So the only thing for Tiger to get is to surpass 82 oh, all-time. But will wins. he get to 18? I don't know. That's tough. All right, say it again. Episode. Oh wait, before you say geez, it. Jeez Louise. Uh, are we really calling it 35P on Thursday? I, I don't know. It seemed to work fine for everybody okay. else. All right, thirty-five P. The next episode of Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> comes this week. This week, probably Thursday, and it will be available to only patrons. So make sure you become a patron and listen via the Patreon site. Okay, go ahead. Episode Kevin Durant, thirty-five, is in the books. <laughs>